If you would, to Joshua chapter 10, you may see on your outline Joshua 10 through 12 is where we'll be, and you're thinking, oh, golly, will we be done by tomorrow? And the answer is yes, we will be done by tomorrow, but hopefully we'll be done in the next uh, just a little bit. But we won't go over every verse, so they will look at that uh, and exegete those verses. But uh, chapter 12 is kind of a review or uh, a culmination of what we'll talk about in, in 10 and 11. But we'll look at chapter 9 uh, to bring some context into it. You heard Chase mention our country and uh, the, the, the opportunity we have to pray. But I want to challenge you as well. As we pray for the country, you're volunteering to be part of that change. It's often said, and it's become kind of a saying, you know, that revival will not start in the White House, it'll start in the church house. I believe to go even one step deeper, it will not start in the church house before it starts in your individual heart. So as we pray for our nation, ask God, what can I do? Because, you know, we always, as we pray for the nations, we pray for the church, whether it be in Chad, Bangladesh, Israel, uh, any place we've prayed for in China, we've prayed for the individuals and the churches there. So if we were to maintain uh, that precedent and to pray for the individuals and the churches in the United States of America, that would include ourselves, right? So let's pray. Say, God, how can I be used? How can you use me? What do you want to do through me? As I pray for this nation, uh, we've often, and you've probably heard, maybe the, the, not rumors, but maybe reports, there might be protests uh, in regards to the Roe v. Wade decision in the past week and a half, and, and there very well may be here locally, whether it be at the courthouse or a local church. And we did mention that this morning in our deacon's uh, prayer time, but just, you, you do know this, right, that anytime we speak truth in love or stand for truth in love, there's going to be a protest. The enemy of our soul, the devil himself, has been protesting that from the beginning. He's been protesting the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news from the very start. So it should not catch us off guard nor surprise us. Be prepared, yes, to defend the truth in love, but to continue, continue to speak it, to stay in it, as Rick and Bubba says. Just stay in it. And with that in mind, to stay in it, I want to read to you just a quote from Alan Redpath. He's the former pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, uh, after he served there into the 60s, he went back to his, his native United Kingdom, pastored a church in Scotland. But he said this in the context of staying in it and maintaining, listen, fearless integrity. This is what Pastor Alan Redpath said many years ago. Every gain I have made in Christian character, parenthetically integrity, every gain I have made in Christian character will be resisted by the devil down to the end of life's journey. And there will be no personal experience of the power of Jesus Christ in victory until I declare war on sin. I ask you, and he's asking us this question, and so forth there I ask us this question today. I ask you in the name of heaven... Are you attacking on all fronts? Have you identified yourselves by declaring war on pride, on self, on tongue, and on criticism? By determining to attack and to conquer them in the name of Jesus. Have you done that? You, we, have a constant attitude to maintain. 
and a victory to claim. And upon that challenge, we want to enter into the story that is in Joshua chapters 9 and then 10, 11, 12. But just to bring a bit of context this morning, what happened in Joshua chapter 9? I shared it a few Wednesday nights ago, and we've been in Joshua, my gosh, I guess for about a year and a half when I have an opportunity to share with you. So the story of Israel's treaty that happened in chapter 9 with the Gibeonites continues, what we'll talk about in a few moments. Though that treaty, if you recall or if you're familiar with the story, should have never happened, Joshua, even though it should never happen, gave his word in the name of Jehovah. So what happened in here in verses 1 through 15 and then verses 16 and following, the Gibeonites saw what had happened with the Israelites coming into the promised land. They had heard about the miracles crossing the Jordan. They took note of that. They even heard, even before that, as Rahab did, about what had happened at the Red Sea. And so now they're seeing this force cross into Canaan from the Jordan and come into their land. Then they heard what happened to Jericho. By the way, it was not an earthquake that caused that. It was God himself. And I believe it was written that way. Then the, the, the children marching around the city and the walls come tumbling down, save except Rahab's uh, dwelling. They heard about that. They heard about the, the encampment at Ai and the conquering of that city. And they said, this is an unstoppable force. So the people of Gibeon were shrewd and cunning, and they were right there in the neighborhood. But yet, they knew the Levitical law, and they said, if we can convince them that we are from a distant land and we need uh, a safe place, then by the command of their own God, they must take us in. So they dressed in old clothes, had old wineskins, and were quite cunning and quite convincing to do that. And they did. Joshua and the nation took them in because they did very well and believed they're from a distant land. So Joshua has given his word that they will protect them. That's in chapter 9. And he kept this because he was a man of integrity. Listen. The prime ingredient, are you listening? The prime ingredient of fearless living is having integrity and being upright. Now, have you ever, the old saying, you know, you've done something well. I said, oh, we nailed it. Nailed it. You know, did something well. Nailed it. I don't say this as having nailed it. I share this as all of us, as Romans says, all have fallen short as having failed it. So this comes from not a position saying, well, just be like me and have this integrity. No, I'm saying along with Joshua and others, there's moments, there's seasons, there's going to be times when we fail it. Can I get an amen? They, we, we are prone to that. That is our default setting. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So understanding this is not coming from someone who nailed it, but someone who failed it. But what can we do then? And I think it's important for us to take two things. It's not in your outline, but two central truths of chapter 9. And then we'll cover this very quickly. But to me, it has its origin in what God shared to the Corinthian church through the Apostle Paul in verses 10, in chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. But God is faithful. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. 
And so that's what we see, I think, here to bring context to this morning before we get into the, to the really the central idea of, of what I want to share with you. Let's look quickly at a bad decision and how to discover two requirements of making good decisions. And the first question, when are you most likely to make a bad decision? Think about that. When are you most likely to make a bad decision? We've already laid the groundwork. You, you will have opportunity, all right? You've already agreed with me. When is that most likely to happen? When you least expect it. That's when we're most likely to make a bad decision. It's when we are least likely or we're least expected, like we've been on a spiritual high. That's First First Corinthians was talking about. Whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. So the first thing to understand this morning, before we get into chapters 10 and 12 to understand some context, we, in order to make good decisions, we must confer with God. Jot that down somewhere, and remember, we must confer with God. Bradley spoke to it earlier. Bradley, you didn't read my notes, did you? As far as like not feeling yesterday or the day before, you'd already had the worship set, and you said, you know, I just don't. I don't feel like doing this. So you were talking to God. You were in conversation with the Creator in that. Then what happened after that? Well, in that conferring, there became a mind change. There became a renewing of the mind. So in that conferring with God, I allowed you to get that out of that funk, out of that bad decision. So based purely on circumstances in the Scripture that we're in this morning, Joshua makes a covenant with the Gibeonites guaranteeing their safety. That's the first takeaway. You just cannot look at the circumstances and make a healthy decision. Listen, to make good decisions, are you listening? To make good decisions, we must remember we are not wise enough to recognize all of Satan's traps. He is too cunning. He is too shrewd. He is too experienced. Who are we? Scripture says we're all like sheep and we're going astray. Who in here has met a genius of a sheep? No one. We are not cut from that genius cloth. We're all like sheep. We have a tremendous proclivity to do things wrong, to make a bad decision. So to understand that, we must confer with God. It is not enough just to know the Bible because Satan can use our... Are you listening? Satan can use our knowledge against us by appealing to our selfish natures. The Israelites had Scripture read to them by Joshua at Mount Ebal. However, God never intended to lead the Israelites or us exclusively with the Bible. Yes, that is His Word. But 1 Thessalonians 5.17 brings some additional light into that. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. And to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort with the discouraged, help with the weak, and be patient with everyone. Verse 15. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always, and here it is, with the word, but always pursue what is good for one another. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Confer with God in 
every circumstance and give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we must confer with God in order to make good decisions as Joshua has been able to teach us. And we see that historically put in chapter 9. Then secondly, confirm the information. God gave you information. He changed the heart. You captured that. You took that captive. So you confer with God and you confirm the information. Now this step usually takes time. Here's a principle that I think we can all follow. Never make a major decision without waiting at least three days. Well, Chuck, you've lost your mind. I need to, I need to make a decision right here and now. I mean, if I, if, I, if I snooze, I lose. Now, I understand some things take, you know, i got to make a decision. But a major decision in which there may be some check or there may be a, a bit a convoluted sight, we need to wait three days. And you say, what's the precedent? Hopefully, you can just come up well, right off the top of your head what's important about three days. If not, let me remind you 1 Corinthians 15, 4. That he, that being Christ, was buried. That he, Jesus, was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So it's ironic here that after Joshua and his leaders saw these Gibeonites come in, they had old wineskins, they had tattered clothes, they made themselves dirty, and they're saying, yep, no doubt about it, they're from a distant land. I can tell it, I, I can see it. There's no vetting, no conferring, therefore the confirmation's wrong. So after three days is when they found out the truth in verse 16, if you just want to jot that down. The Israelites hear that these folks are actually their neighbors. They didn't come from a distant land. Joshua and the Israelites had been embarrassingly deceived. Now, not by a show of hands, or if you feel like testifying, you can. Who in here has ever been embarrassingly deceived? Thank you. There's, there's some odd folks, so yes. Matter of fact, within the last 24 hours, the enemy goes to and fro to kill, steal, and destroy. He is a master of deception. Have you ever fell prey of the deception of the devil? Yes. If you don't, listen. Everybody should be nodding in the heart or saying yes out loud. He has deceived us and will continue to attempt to deceive us. But based on that, although the decision was based on information, talking about Joshua, they have unintentionally involved God in his name and his reputation. It was not with malice. They were doing as Scripture said. They just didn't do everything that they should have done. They did not confirm the information. Even, listen, even when we make a bad decision, even if we've been deceived into making a bad decision, we must keep our word and our integrity. Psalm 15.4. You can just write that down. Write it down somewhere in Psalm 15.4. This matter of fact, this will be a great way to celebrate freedom tomorrow. Know Psalm 15.4. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word, whatever the cost. People who honor God and their promises and their agreements, even in difficult situations, we should be very careful to make good decisions. So with that in mind, let's begin now with chapter 10 of Joshua and look at the first eight verses, specifically verse 6, and that may 
show up on the screen there, but I want to read the first eight verses, and the one, uh, back, verse 6 is on the screen. But if you're in your outlines, this is three things that we can maintaining a fearless integrity. The first being, abide by your word. Abide by your word. Now, Adonai Zedek, that's the king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai and completely destroyed it. Treating Ai as its king as he had Jericho and its king. In other words, they wiped him out. And that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace. He knew about that. So this king from Jerusalem and all his people were greatly alarmed because Gibeon was a very large city like one of the royal cities. And it was larger than Ai. And all its men were warriors. Therefore, Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Horam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up and help me. We will attack Gibeon because they have made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So those five Amorite kings, kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They advanced with all their armies, armies besieged Gibeon, and fought against them. Now, you can see what's going on. They said, okay, this, we, we've got to stop them. Like we just mentioned before, something has to happen. So they joined forces. They knew Gibeon had a treaty with them. And they knew that Joshua and the nation would come to their rescue. They knew these things. We've got to, we've got to stop this dead in its tracks. And when they did that, here's something I want us to remember. Now, Joshua was a military man. He knew strategy. But before strategy, you look at, look, write this down. Integrity precedes strategy. Mark and I were talking this past week. We had an opportunity to be out of town. And, and a lot of this, the things that had come out and it, as it came to our, through what we were talking about, through this scripture and through this message, it just... You know, I, I knew Joshua was a strategist, a military man, but as we talked, I said, you know, the reason he did that is because integrity first. If we try to be strategic and implement what we know humanly possible and, and act on that without having integrity to guide that, then it's the cart before the horse. So he was relying on what had already happened, his integrity. He could have, I, I think quite historically, said, you know what? Those folks, snake in the grass kind of folks, Chris, they cheated us. They lied to us. They embarrassed us. They got it coming. These five kings, I tell you what, we'll let them wipe each other out, and then we won't have to do near as much work. Have you ever been there? You see something happen, and you think, you know what? That makes sense. They had it coming, and it's going to save me some blood, sweat, and tears. Lord must be in it. That strategy without integrity. Joshua knew the word that he gave, and he was going to abide in that. He was going to stay in it. So the Gibeonites sent this message to, to Gilgal and said, Would you please help us? And Joshua got his army together and started that trek. And Mike, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy hike. I mean, yes, they, I don't know if they had backpacks on or, or rucksacks or whatever, but they had what they had, and they were walking up rough terrain uphill through the night. They didn't have lanterns, no night vision, whatever. They were going a difficult path. 
And so they went that way all uphill. And when they got there, this is what the Lord was telling them. So look there at verse 6, specifically. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Don't abandon your servants. Come quickly and save us. Help us. For all the Amorite kings living in the hill country have joined forces against us. Verse 7. So Joshua and his whole military force, including all the fighting men, came from Gilgal. And here is what accompanied them in that trek. Verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. People of God are always, should always be people of integrity. God will not be, listen, God will not be part of anything deceitful or wrong in any way. People of integrity know the truth found in Proverbs 10, verse 9. The one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his ways will be found out. So to maintain your fearless integrity, we must abide by our word, no matter the circumstances that surround it. Secondly, we must act on God's promises. Now that's what we see beginning in verse 9. So Joshua caught them by surprise. Who is them? Those five kings and all their armies. He caught them by surprise after marching all night from Gilgal. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. He defeated them in a great slaughter. Who defeated them? That's a capital H-E. It wasn't Joshua. He, being God, defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them throughout the ascent of Bethoron, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Madekah, or Makedah, I'm sorry. As they fled before Israel, the Lord threw large hailstones on them from the sky along the descent of Beth Horon all the way to Azekah, and they died. Look at this next one. More of them died from the hail than the Israelites killed with the sword. A hailstone was more lethal than a sword. Anything that has origin from the holy throne of heaven has more lethality to defeat the enemy than anything you and I can forge in a fire. Those hailstones from God's own hand defeated more anything than the Israelites could have with human means. That is worth visiting and knowing to act on God's promises. Then verse 10, 13 is even a more miraculous occurrence than maybe, say, the Red Sea, the Jordan, the crumbling of the walls at Jericho. So look with me at verse 13. or 12. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and read 12 and 13 of chapter 10. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord. Now he's in it. You know, I reference Rick and Bubba, they say, stay in it, stay in the fight, stay engaged. Joshua was, he was in that promise that God gave him. You, 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 you connect in the dot, right? He was in that promise. But him being a strategist noticed something was happening during the day. What? Sunlight was diminishing. So Joshua learning the lesson from chapter 9, conferred with God. And he got an immediate confirmation. Look, so the, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, 
quote, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on his enemies. The prayer here is for provision to complete the will of God. Folks, we must stay engaged. Even failure after failure after failure. Breach of integrity. Loss of fight. This, because of God's promises, to act on God's promises and stay in it. Now, gosh, it's just, it's just too much to go over in these, these few minutes that we have left together. But just suffice it to say... This was a miracle. I, listen, if this was just poetic, I'm not sure God, this, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You had the Red Sea, you had the Jordan, you have Jericho, you have all these miracles that are accompanying Joshua and his, his going on to what God has called him to do. And this, this happened. So you're saying, well, how did it happen? It's all good questions. As I studied this, it's, it's difficult to explain away for several reasons. First, if, if you're, listen, if you're driving down 231 South trying to make a beeline to the beach and it's no traffic for whatever reason this time of year and you're going 70 miles an hour, you have no seatbelt, you got all the pool stuff in the way back, that's what we call it in the back of our van, it's where everything lives and resides, no offense, but I mean there's, there's chairs, there's stuff to go to the ministry center, ministry center, there's snacks from 2002, you know, everything's in the back of the van. Uh, and so we're not wearing seatbelts. So if we're just barreling down 231, 70 miles an hour, and all of a sudden we said, stop, and you slam on brakes, what's going to happen besides you flying through the windshield? Everything else is going to come through the windshield. Everything in that van is going to come through that windshield or fly out. I mean, you think about it, that's what, what happened with, with this right here. Now, I'm not a scientist, but from the, correct me if I'm wrong, my son's in college. We don't, the sun does not rotate around us, right? The earth rotates around the sun. Am I right there? Okay. So, uh, there, 36, there you go. I saw you nod. So, and, and, and how many miles per hour are we rotating? Uh, like 1,000 miles an hour or something like that? Faster than 70. And so, if all of a sudden the Lord stopped the earth, what would happen? Everything would go flying off. Well, what about if it, let's just say, okay, that's not what he did. What if he just lengthened the day by tilting the earth? I mean, kind of like if you're in Barrow, Alaska. And, 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 in, and in March, in Barrow, Alaska, the northernmost village in Alaska, the sun rises on March 10th and doesn't totally set for three months. I mean, could the Lord have done that? Well, sure, He could have done that. Or there might have been some refraction of the sun's lights. There might have been a heavy dew, and it just kind of illuminated, the, and it gave them uh, all day, gave them more sun. Listen, regardless, and I'm not trying to be a simpleton, but here's where I land. Regardless of how God did it, which I believe in all my heart He did it, regardless of how He did it, the day was miraculously prolonged. He saw what was going on. He was faithful, and He answered Joshua's plea. To question, listen church, to question this miracle is the result of not knowing who God is. It makes me feel like Job. You know, he's kind of having, I mean, rightfully so, a pity party. And he's, he's telling the Lord what's going on. Ghost ships, things of like this, if anybody's listening to Ghost Ship. And he's just, they start quoting Job in that song. And, and, and he, Job's saying all this. Then God says, where were you 
when I created that? Where were you when I made that mountain? Where were you when I formed the depths of the ocean? Where were you when I started it all, the one who has no beginning and no end? Where were you? So to question this is the question, Jeremiah 32, 17. Jot it down, Jeremiah 32, 17. Jot it down, Jeremiah 32, 17. Repetition is the key to learning. Jeremiah 32, 17, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Sometimes we'll think, well, he can, he can, he can make a way in my relationships or he can make a way. God can do anything that he wants to do. Amen? God can do that. Taking advantage of the long day, the Israelites continue in hot pursuit, no pun intended, of the enemy to keep them from retreating into the walled cities. That's a good takeaway. That's not even a point. Stay in it. Don't let the enemies retreat and find some little hole in your heart to reside. You stay after it. Keep fighting. Keep going after it. God promises the victory, but He also expects us to battle. Amen? Not just to sit idly by and say, yeah, God got this. It's all God. God's got it. It takes some skin in the game. You must enter the fray. So word comes to Joshua, these five kings, these leaders, are now hiding in a cave. Man, antithetical to men of integrity. Their fannies are getting whooped, and they retreat. Without their men, so they go hide in a cave. Joshua finds out about it and says, okay, stone it up, we'll come back to them. So he said, i got to stay on task. Kind of like Nehemiah in his book says, I, I'm just, you know, I hear all that, but I don't have time for it. I have a job to do. I'm staying on the wall, staying in it. So Joshua said, ball them up, we'll come back to it. So he told his soldiers to roll large stones to the mouth of the cave and place guards there to keep things inside. And he'll deal with them later. Later the five kings, now we're in verse 24. Later the five kings are brought to Joshua, and Joshua tells his commanders, and this is something very interesting to me, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. In Joshua's day, this was a common way of humiliating enemies because it symbolized complete subjection. It was also a way of lifting the morale of the troops. They saw that. They saw them that those kings now, they're laying on the ground and these soldiers have their foot on the neck. It kind of reminds us of Ephesians 1.22. And he subjected who? Who is he? He subjected everything under his feet. Who is that? Jesus. And appointed him as head over everything for the church. A couple weeks ago, I, I, I felt industrious, I guess. And I said, hey, I'm going to get out there before it gets hot. And, you know, like our... I won't even go to what our storage room looks like. It's to say that I'm a hoarder would be an understatement. It's just I'll, no comments, just, just nod. And you're right, honey. But so I said, I go out there and I start cleaning up. It's a process. It's not going to happen in one day. So we had this old water hose out there. And you know how water hose gets when it's been laying in a circle for a long time? It's, it's molded in that circle. You've got to stretch it out, and it's just all kinked up and all whack. And so I said, I'm just going to let it sit out in the sun all day long. 
And that way the sun can bake it and it'll get its, get its uh, limberness back. And I thought, that's a, it's genius. So I'm out there, I'm rolling that thing out and, and, and the, in the dew of the morning, the wet grass and everything, and I'm picking up sticks as I'm stretching this water hose and I'm stretching it over to hook it up and I'm picking up sticks and I reached down and went, not a stick, not a stick, not a stick. It was a snake. And I was just hoping and praying nobody saw me in my sleep shirt and gym shorts out there in the neighborhood at 6.30 in the morning yelling to the top of my lung, not a stick, not a stick, not a stick. Monica was, I don't know, but she didn't come to my rescue. Uh, no, you know, Travis already at work maybe. But I, it's, listen, it scared me. I didn't say, oh, that's a harmless snake. All I saw, not a stick. Then upon further investigation, harmless snake, which I still debate is not a real thing. But according to what I've been told by my boys and other people, it was a harmless snake. But you know, that harmless snake still had me scared. So I got a stick, a big stick, and from a distance kind of poked it. And, and then, because I, I sent Monica a video, not a stick, not a stick, not a stick, and just enlarged it and said, this is what I just found in the yard. And so I'm, I'm just trying to get it to move and say, well, maybe you'll keep bad snakes away or get a rodent. Because I didn't want to even put the snake under my foot to go get the hoe. Joshua reinforces the act of having his military leaders put their feet on the necks of the kings by saying, do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord will do this to all the enemies you fight. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should help, this should help build something. Every victory, listen, who's had victory in Jesus? I asked you a while ago who's failed. Who's had victory in Jesus? If you're saved, you've had a victory. Okay? Every, don't miss this, every victory in the Christian life should help build fearless faith for the next battle. Every victory should help build fearless faith and integrity for the next battle. It's not just a one-off. Whoo, boy, I'm glad that's over. That was a hard fight. Now it's time just to relax and wait for heaven to come. No. We are in a lost and fallen world. It will not get better until Christ returns. But in the middle of it, we can have love, joy, peace, perseverance, those things. So every victory, we can have victory. Every victory in our life should help build fearless faith for the next battle. Therefore, we should be strong and courageous. In other words, continue into fearless living. So to maintain a fearless integrity, abide in your word, no matter the circumstances. Look what Joshua did. Was he tricked? Yes. He didn't confer with God, nor did they get the confirmation they wanted. But he gave his word, and he abided in that word. Secondly, act on God's promises. Then lastly this morning, as we close together, acquire a long-term perspective. Acquire a long-term perspective. Up to this point, Joshua's victory has taken place in central Canaan, and he's been using the strategy of divide and conquer. The enemies are now divided, so they can unite. They cannot unite and attack. So after defeating the five kings in, in that central region, they went south, and now they're getting ready to go north. So look at Joshua 10.42 with me. Joshua 10.42. Joshua captured all these kings in their land in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, 
fault for Israel. Listen, people of integrity always give God the glory for any achievement or success. Our hands, church, our feet, our talents, our intellect all come from God. We have not attained any of that of our own doing. It all comes from God. If we have integrity, we will always give Him credit for what He deserves for our successes. So after winning this southern campaign, Joshua faces the combined north. And according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, this is what he comes to. He's looking at an army that is like sand on the landscape of a sea. 300,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 horsemen, 20,000 chariots. The Lord tells Joshua not to be afraid of them because the next day the men will be dead. Then in verse 6 of chapter 11, something really interesting happens. So look there with me, chapter 11, verse 6. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for this time tomorrow I will cause all of them to be killed before Israel. You are to hamstring their horses and burn up their chariots. Now listen, I'm a softy when it comes to animals. After Monica and I first got married, you know, I, I was not a cat person. I never had a cat. Come on, Chris Champion. I never had a cat. I mean, it's just not that I hated them per se. I just didn't like them. And, and I just never had a cat. So we said, okay, let's get a cat. So Monica brought two cats home and said, which one should we keep? Well, we can't just keep one, toss the other one away. We got to, I mean, the, uh, that one's but ugly, but we're going to keep it. And then he said, we'll keep both cats. I mean, it was. That cat was, oh my gosh, itty bitty. What, I mean, just, it was black and orange and had no pattern whatsoever. It's just like it had been dumped in a bag of goo. It was just, but sweet. And for whatever reason, loved me. Never had a cat in my life. Those cats slept on my chest. W- would mutilate my thigh, making itself a bed. And did I try to swat it away? No, uh-uh, because I... Okay, just it'll stop in a minute. Sweat pouring down my brow. The thing just clawing into my, just to get a bed. Now I said, I love, I love the cat. Let's, it'll, it'll stop in a minute. And I can go to the doctor tomorrow. Just, I, but I'm a softy. So when I read this, you're to cut the tendons of the horses. I've never been a horse person. They kind of scare me in a few ways. I've ridden one, maybe once or twice. But they're beautiful. They're kind of funny at times. But I can't imagine all those horses cut them. You think those horses made any racket when you did that? You think that would kind of tug at your draw, at your heartstrings? But yet the God said, you need to cut their hamstrings. Why? Well, I, I, after reading this, I found out they were used for pagan worship. Well, okay, that makes it a little more palatable. All right, yeah, they used for wrong worship, need to get rid of them. But still... Well, the, the enemy had used them. Okay, so we need to take away the resource. But here's the real reason. Look with me. Everybody look. We're about done. Psalm 20. You just go to the middle of your Bible, kind of flip around. You know where Psalm, you'll find Psalms pretty easily there. Go to Psalm 20, the 20th Psalm, verse 7. You probably know it by now because I've set it up with these horses and these chariots. So is everybody there? Psalm 20, verse 7. Good. I hear some pages. I see some screens swapping. Psalm 20, verse 7. 
Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. That is why God said, I want you to hamstring them. Because he knew, well, no matter if, but when, these Israelites would say, you know what? Man, we cooking with grease now. Look at what all we have. We got all these horses. We got all these chariots. I don't care who comes against us. Gibeonites, those Amorite kings. We, listen, we're going to kick rear in and take names. We can handle it. They would start putting their faith in those things instead of God. And God said, don't do it. So here's what happened to me in first service. This is not my notes. Monica can attest to that. She, she kind of read this, but it just came on me. Honey. It's just, here's the question I have. And it's really the challenge of, the, of, this, of this whole message. What horses do you have that you need to hamstring? What chariots do you have that you need to burn? Because I know I have some. Sitting there in the first service, and uh, we were singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And I you know, love that song and you know a little bit of the history about it. Uh, it was written in, by a woman and it is as far as like with the Union, Union Army and uh, against the Confederate Army. And, but there's a line in there we sing now. It says, so that they may live, that they will live free. The original line says, so we may die, so they may live. And God convicted me. Are you more concerned about living in freedom in light of what this weekend means? Tomorrow, specifically with the United States of America? Or are you consumed with dying daily so other people will see the freedom that I offer through Christ? That's what I was convicted of. So that's, that's a horse I hamstrung, right, that chair right there. And in my mind, I took out something and I cut the tendon of the horse. And I started some tender under a chariot. So I'm asking you, my dear friends and members of this church family, if you're guests, I'll ask you as well. What horse do you have in your life that you need to cut the tendons on? Don't be a softy. What chariot do you have that you need to set ablaze? Bow with me. Father, it is with that challenge that you give us through your word that I know this to be true. Lord, we are prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the God we love. We are those in this room who use what you give us to pursue idols and compromise integrity. Father, we need an intercessor. And Lord, we thank you that we have one. The Lord Jesus, church, the Lord Jesus was blotted out in order that we might be forgiven of our sin. When we confess our sin to Him, when we confess our sin to Jesus, we are coming to the One who has already intervened on our behalf. It should be our prayer to let His remarkable love for us win our hearts back from fearful living and to come back to using all that we have to live with fearless integrity and my dear friends to serve the God who gives us all we need
If you'll stand with me and stand as reverently as you know how with eyes closed and head still bowed before Bradley leads us in what is a time of invitation. But in reverence before a holy God, what horses do you have that you need to cut some tendons on? What chariots do you have that need to be set ablaze? So that you may fully and wholly trust in the Lord your God. First hurdle for that, if you're here this morning and you do not know if Jesus Christ is your Lord, He is your King, you're unsure. If you even were to pass into eternity today, in other words, if you were for some reason the Lord forbid, but if you were for some reason die today and you're not sure you would go to heaven, would you please come talk to myself or Chase or another staff member or just find someone around you? They'll be able to tell and ask them, what must I do to be saved? We would love to talk with you and, and for you to understand the absolute most important decision of your life, and that's to surrender to Christ, to ask Him to be your King, to submit to that sanctifying joy of following Him the rest of your life. If you're here today and you're looking for a church home and you just are not sure where the Lord is leading with you, if it's just to come and say, hey, would you pray with me about that? I would, that would be an honor. You need to belong to a body of believers that follow the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as their self.